Welcome to the Fourth Watch. As the world is falling apart, the church should be coming together, but we have to wake up first. Biblical prophecy is unfolding and we keep looking for a new normal. The enemy is parading in broad daylight, we keep changing the channel. The media keeps saying look left when the real activity is happening to the right. 2020 caught everyone off guard, which leads to one very important viewpoint. Every demonic influence running rampant in America right now had to go to the church to get here. It's time we changed our focus and our footing. No more excuses, no more racial divide, no more ignorance, and no more country club church. The enemy feels like he's on a winning streak, but we're here to remind him and you of our biblical and American heritage. We serve the Lord of Angel Armies, and we thrive when our backs are against the wall. The goal of the Fourth Watch is clear, to equip you with a biblical foundation as it relates to spiritual warfare. You don't need to be a pastor or a teacher to recognize what's happening, and the Bible is filled with references to the last days. History isn't repeating, it's setting the stage. One of our generations has to be the last, and no one is coming to save us but God. So how do we see things as He intended? How do we see the enemy at work in our daily lives? How do we respond to demonic attacks against ourselves and our family? How do we identify the deceivers masquerading as politicians, celebrities, influencers, and even pastors? And more importantly, how do we bring revival when most Christians are focused on culture over kingdom? The fourth watch is from 3 to 6 a.m. daily, the darkest hours before the dawn. It's when Abraham raised his dagger, when Jacob wrestled with God, when Peter stepped onto the water, and when Jesus arose the third day. Now, the fourth watch is our effort to show you how spiritual warfare isn't just real, it's raging. And whether you choose to see it or not, every single one of us has a role to play. Journey with us as we search the word, discuss current events, put our faith into action, and use ourselves as an example along the way. Welcome to Spiritual Warfare for the Masses. Welcome to the fourth watch. To do it, to do it now. Do it like your name is Graham. Yeah, you know, once here, this is news from Pennsylvania. Can't do Dutch. <laughs> All right, everyone. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Yes, that's interesting. St. Patrick was, he was a prisoner in Ireland, and he was made a servant, work fields and everything else. He finally got out. It's not clear how he got out, but he got out. And he came to the Lord because of his experience of being captured went back and worked in Ireland as an evangelist. So today we, we've secularized St. Patrick's Day so that we go out, we overeat, and drink green beer and forget that it was a story about a holy man through his suffering returned to help those who made him suffer mm. and change their ways. So <clears throat> he virtually was single-handedly a great influence in, in making Christ an important part of the Irish culture. That's what should be remembered. So naturally we drink to that. And we do drink to that occasionally. But uh, this has become like most everything. I'll point out Halloween, Christmas, all of them have become so secular and consumerized. You think it's because people just want an excuse to party? You know, they want an excuse to to take a break from things. That's part of the distraction, right? They'll take what they can get. Well, they're, they're definitely trying to escape from the world. Even a heroin addict or uh, somebody, a fentanyl addict, is trying to do the same thing. My thinking is that all of those who are trying to escape from the world are just people seeking Christ but not knowing it. The two things that struck me out were people were trying to obtain peace. Correct. Or, or potentiate pleasure. Or pleasure. Well, that's, that's... Because if you can make the party long enough, you don't even have to worry about peace. You also ah. don't have to worry about the distractions outside. The world itself will do its thing while you are doing yours. I, I'm not sure you couldn't even have a sense of pleasure unless you also have a sense of suffering. It has to come first. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I, I think the beauty of pleasure is that it's known to the person because they know it, how tenuous it is and how long it's actually going to last. What if people started out on a footing of peace, then it was taken you have suffering, and then all of a sudden, in order to get back to peace, they stumbled along pleasure. And then when they realized that there was pleasure as a component of peace, are they really trying to get back to peace, or are they just trying to have the party go longer? I think the party going longer. Actually, I think that's Satan's game, because Satan actually knows that it's going to be over some time. He's just trying with the battle that we're having now, the spiritual battle we're having right now, As Heiser says, he's just trying to postpone his own demise. And 
the more that he destroys our Christian faith, the more that he destroys uh, believers and deceives them, the longer the battle is. But he knows he's going to lose. It's almost like the bad kid having to go to the principal's office. Because once you go to the principal's office, you're done. You're expelled. You know it was bad enough. Yeah, I know that well. So if you can if you can hide in the bathroom, roam the hallways, go room to room long enough, you think that you can avoid it. Then he has other administrative things he has to do. But that gets us back to Ecclesiastes 3.15. What's been is the past. What's going to be is the past. And the Lord requires an account of it all. Which yes, means it's already happened. Satan knows it's happened. Yet he knows that while we're operating in this, you know, created space where we have dual authority here and in heaven, he's trying to throw us off long enough to keep as many people out of God's party as possible. That's why almost everything about the end days, it always talks about being careful of deception and false teaching. And this is one of the things that I'm going to be commenting from time to time on a book that I got. And we're going to put a a picture of the book up on the website Live Not by Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. And it's Rod Dreher. Now, this was a, uh, a man whose family immigrated from communist countries where many of them suffered just to do and practice the Christian religion. And it's almost like a handbook of what his ancestors told him about what you have to do to stay Christ-like within one of these systems. And to tell you the truth, we don't know how long we're going to be in this system, but we do know one thing right now. It's not a great time to be a Christian in America. My favorite definition of dissidence is our refusal to sit down, a man's refusal to stay seated. If you think about that, dissidence doesn't have to be a violent course of action. It just has to be, it could even be nonviolent, but the point is, It's a refusal to abide by systems and structures that are meant to subjugate. And there's something beautiful about it, something biblical about it. There's something that even when Jesus came, he wasn't the Messiah that they wanted. No, he wasn't. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. It's almost like saying, hey, what good can come out of Fishing Creek Valley? (laughs) Could Jesus, you know, all of a sudden you grow up with a guy for 30 years and say, oh, the neighbor's kid? (laughs) Water into wine? What? No. He... No, there's no way. We wouldn't accept it. A lot of study of the Bible, which is with our website, you're going to see us push back to the scriptures every day. You have to feed yourself on an everyday basis in the scriptures. Because what we're going to do is pound on the fact that God has actually said, look at me, investigate me, check me out. And you can do that in this Bible because it is... As Chuck Missler said, it is a book written by someone who was and is not in this timeline. He can intercede. He can control things. He can interject himself into the timeline. But the entire book is not written within a timeline. It takes us from the very beginning of creation to the very end in the reign of Jesus Christ. And there's only one way you can do that outside of the timeline. It is just one more confirmation that what we have and we hold in our hands is the Holy Scripture and the ultimate answer. So it's our strongest weapon. It's our manual. It's our, uh, when I was in the military, it would be the UCMJ. I think what's interesting about that is when you also include Heiser, and Heiser reminding us that so many people look to the book for answers that were never intended to be in there. The point is you start with God's word. If you want answers from God, if you want you know, the veil to be removed, start with the word, seek God's face, seek his heart, seek his spirit, and his spirit, spirit of truth, will give you understanding and give you knowledge. But in a world of instant gratification, in a world of swiping left and right, it's been pushed a little bit farther out of reach because people's patience, people's threshold, people's appetite for something instantaneous if it's not instantly satiable, you know, that it's like, no, I need something else. I need something more. This, this isn't it. This might be it, but what else is there? So another thing we're doing is we're looking at, at the events as they unfold. We know, and I think if you're listening to this at all, you know we're in a strange, difficult, and telling time. Could you have imagined a year ago that people would be saying, we're going to control your body? But that's exactly what's happening. Who right now is urging countries not to 
suspend the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine just because it's going across the blood-brain barrier and giving some clots to people, which cause strokes and, and can cause death. What shows you the lack of compassion for the human at all? Well, it's interesting. The Europeans are shutting down the vaccination process right now, or at least slowing it down. But in every article you read, they say there's no evidence of cause and effect. Now, they say this also in other instances, like individuals who have had anaphylactic shock from either the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine. Here again, a totally different model of how you deliver the vaccine how you make it. And in both cases, you always hear, well, there's no real cause and effect here. Just because he got his second shot, went home and died, that really doesn't mean anything. It's not really related to this. Now, some of these cases were like kayakers and runners and perfectly healthy people that got the vaccine. And it was dismissed that there was this correlation None of those people that they're dismissing the facts, nobody had the brilliant idea, well, maybe we should autopsy these cases. Now, I'm a coroner, folks, and I don't do cause and manner of death unless there's an autopsy on a case like that. Maybe that's why in our state, they really don't like coroners certifying COVID deaths because they took that from us so that the state could control the data. Do you remember the movie Tommy Boy? No, no, Chris no. Farley, David Spade. Oh, yes, I do. There's yes. a, there's a yes. scene no. scene where Tommy's explaining, you know, the quality of the merchandise they're selling to a supplier. And he says, well, Bob, you could stick your head up a bull's ass and check the quality of a T-bone, but I'd rather take the butcher's word for it. <laughs> we, we can't trust the butcher anymore. No, we can't. So in a world where that's playing out, how much should we be relying on the Bible and the Holy Spirit right now? When it says that men's hearts are ultimately evil, and you see that it's men running these corporations, these corporations almost seem like they're individuals themselves with very nefarious, very dark intentions. Problem is, under law, they are considered individuals, which gives exemption to all the bad people behind it, because you sue the corporation and not the individuals, and they don't generally go down unless it's in. So where there's no liability, there's no one that you can actually hold accountable. Right. So we basically are just getting tormented by a thing. Does that sound familiar at all? We're being pushed around by a sure. thing, by a force, by something without a face that we can't see, right. but we feel its effect. Interesting. The uh, 2008, uh, the banking crisis. Uh, how many bankers went to jail on that one? Oh, that was, oh, none. None, none. Maybe one guy because, you know, we needed one guy. If there is a correlation in the future between any one of these vaccines and causing the death of many people. Do you have the ability to sue? Nope. No, you don't. Because it's going to go to a vaccine court controlled by the CDC and very limited reparations for those families that have lost somebody that's a breadwinner or that type of thing. So if the old law was an eye for an eye, what would happen then? Let's, let's say that you take out grace and the cross. And say these big companies built a thing, made a thing, had us take a thing. People die because of it. What's an eye for an eye look like then? Do we make them take the vaccines until they expire? What do we do? Well, I'll tell you what. There wouldn't be too many CEOs of corporations anymore. <laughs> it's the corporate. Uh, people don't understand. It used to be that a business was personally responsible. The people who owned it were personally responsible. Well, there was also a personal sense of ownership of pride, of quality of work, that's gone. Well, all, we, it's all but gone. I it's say. all gone. It, it's all gone in the concept that we have children running down the streets nowadays, burning up cars and federal buildings and saying this is all because of capitalism. But we haven't had capitalism since the very early 1800s. Um, and there was a brilliant book by Friedrich Hayek, and it's called The Road to Serfdom. So if you really want to understand what we should be returning to, which is real capitalism, then you might want to read that book. Sure. Because in capitalism, is always a win-win deal. I'm going to sell you something that's going to make your life better. And if you buy it and pay the price, it makes my life better. It's a win-win deal. So should people be looking at this like corporatism versus capitalism? Yes. What does that mean to the average consumer then? Because really it means that there is no capital benefit. 
you become a cog in a wheel. If the consumer knew that, what's distracting them from calling it out for what it is? Well, I think some people are starting to, and it's a fire alarm for us that we better start to understand what a corporate structure is, what a small business structure is, and what self-independence is. Because at any time, which we have seen, we have seen right now, for instance, there's one uh, small businessman that happens to be a Christian, the Pillow Man. And he's, uh, the, all the corporate stores have been taking him out of their stores. And Just the fact that we can refer to him as the Pillow Man, though, I mean, it's kind of funny. He's awesome. Yeah. He's awesome. Everybody, if you think of a pillow, it's Lindell. And uh, he's been he's, vilified. He's, he's been vilified. Uh, he's being sued. Although, this guy's hard to get a stake in because he's fighting back, man. He's suing, he's suing back. Now, there's an interesting thing because I've been sued before, and the thing is, they can get discovery on me, but I can get discovery on them. They open up the door. To they opened up the door. It goes back and forth. I think what's happened is that they underestimated their victim. Correct. Yeah, he's full bore. I mean, this is a guy that got over crack cocaine. This is a guy who found Jesus started a company and hired felons and others that have been brought to Jesus. He does things that, that a corporation would never think of. Like if you lose a loved one, a husband, a son from maybe drugs or whatever, in his company, the law or the rule in the book, the employee manual is take the time, whatever you need to, to get over this death and let us know if you need any help and we're gonna still be paying you until you get back. That's awesome. It could be two weeks, it could be a month, it could be a half a year. But think about that, that's support. It's almost from a community standpoint. They've chosen to support one another through hard times. Amen, yeah. So that is a biblical mandate Yeah. that has been incorporated into a business infrastructure where you weave Christ and follow the lessons and the teachings of Christ in with how you make money, in it with how you employ people, how you treat people. That's right. That in and of itself is a model that the secular corporate world does not want to exist, let alone thrive, let alone endure hardship, because what will that call other people to do? The same thing. Replicate it. That's ah. the Great Commission. How about the Great Corporate Commission? <laughs> the Great Corporate Commission is go out, make money, and dominate all over the world. There's no allegiance to this country. Mike Lindell loves this country. Yep. And we have to start supporting companies that are just like his, that are supporting the, uh, well, you and I go down to a hardware store that opens every day with prayer. Any employee that wants to can come up there. They go in a circle. They pray in the morning. That's awesome. I know there were times when uh, this particular guy at this hardware store would hire addicts, alcoholics, work with them, just like Mike Lindell. And it's a successful hardware store. And when you see the people that are in there. Yeah, it's a community. Oh, they, they support one another. Yep. They're, there's a, an atmosphere in there that it's not just small country store atmosphere. No. It is, who are you? Where are you? How can I help you? That's it. If that were replicated, though, the business world doesn't want average consumers to know that that exists and can be scalable. It doesn't want business owners to know that you can incorporate and weave in Christ infrastructure with your business infrastructure and come out the other end successful. Because if you did know that, more Christians will be called to the business world. And then what does that happen? This big corporate world all of a sudden gets reduced, smaller right. and smaller and smaller. And the businesses realize the corporations aren't coming to save us. It's us and Christ. That's it. And so we talk about decentralized power, decentralized water. Our talks outside of this we run the gamut because we want to be sharpened. We want our minds thinking at a different level, thinking at a Christ level. And so when we read the news, as we will go forward and kind of cover topics, we want to challenge you to ask yourself, what does the Bible say about this? Read, get your face in the word, search the Holy Spirit, test the Holy Spirit. You see something, ask. At no point does it say, oh no, don't ask. That's too heavy, too deep. But if we do this and we make a habit of it, everything becomes scrutinized. That's also what the outside world doesn't want us to do. Paul said, be in the world, but not of it. In this book that I was just talking about, nothing more than the truth, it says, choose a life apart from the crowd. And if you don't do that, if you don't do that, you cannot be a Christian because the crowd will always be secular. But that leads you to 
if you really want to follow that down the rabbit hole, long-suffering. Correct. Has the church, in your opinion, taught people how to suffer well? No. It doesn't even mention suffering a lot. It says that if you if you tithe, you'll get that car payment paid, and it's going to be a NASCAR. <laughs> when I think about it, when I think about it, I think about the rich man that said, man, I followed all the commandments. I've done everything. What do I need to do to follow you? And he says, well, get rid of everything. Get rid of everything and follow me. But you know what the Bible doesn't say? Why? Was he a good man? Did he do good things? Well, he followed rules. He followed rules. So do corporations, but they're corporate rules. And the other thing we have to do is reject double think. And we have to fight for free speech. Now, I never thought I'd have to fight as hard as you have to now. You can say the wrong thing in a corporate structure or um, in a governmental structure for sure, and you're going to lose your position. You're going to lose your position. Well, but, it also, cancel culture doesn't leave any room for forgiveness, growth, or grace. None. It actually stamps you as incapable of maintaining any position or role in society based off of one thing that you did. Right. That in and of itself is tantamount to killing off a person, almost a character assassination. And they vilify us thinking that we incite violence, we incite riots, we incite all these things. The president incited a capital insurrection. They say these things and they carry it around long enough and far enough that the news picks it up, puts it on the cycle. People start picking up these, these bits, but they don't realize cancel culture is the enemy's work to steal kill and destroy oh, it destroys minds it destroys minds because it it goes back to the old relativism your truth is your truth my truth is my truth then that means there's no truth and what is the devil really trying to do but steal your potential He's trying to destroy right. it so if you can't even recover publicly from what the you know what the masses are trying to say that you do by the way the woke masses if we want to call it that if we're at that level where does that put us in the book of revelation Chapter 6, chapter 8, hmm. chapter 1. This is where you detach yourself. Where do you want to be in the book of Revelation versus where is the Holy Spirit telling you that we are? And when I say that, it's colloquial. It's Revelation. It's not a literal page or chapter or verse. Right. It's just the fact that, listen, we're there. We're there. We're always there. We were always there. And we're supposed to stay there until it actually plays out. But in my mind, I'm thinking that's living life on our feet, exactly as Christ intended, with power, love, and a sound mind. Well, the, one of the first things we have to do is refuse to let media and institutions propaganda us, our children, and our faith. And that is what is being done right now. I think it is very heavily into the church and there are so many people out there right now that think there's going to be a political solution to this and it's not going to happen there's not going to be one man changing this you know I'm, donald trump was a fine president but he's not your answer your answer is christ do you and, think it was idol worship well i think that people tend to to look to people and they look for these leaders to take care of things while they go to Costco's. I, I look at <laughs> idol worship like it's, it's, a, it's an increased focus of time and attention spent on something other than God, where your heart is placing an emphasis on other than your heart emphasizing God and what God's trying to do. So when I looked at Trump, I looked at the numbers. I'm a data guy. The data speaks to a very, very well-operating administration. Correct. It speaks to one that actually favored everyone on both sides, regardless of race, regardless of political affiliation. He himself, as a man, spoke like a you know like a, a, a power hungry drunkard. If you read the book Art of the Deal, right? Yeah, I did the Art of the Deal. It's a persona. It's a character, but he did it in a way that he backs his you know, perceived opponents into a corner, and they either have to work with him, or they have to work against him. If they work against him, ultimately. They can't hold out long enough. They can't outlast him. Right. He did it so effectively well in business, regardless what you think of him. He did it with politics as well. If Lindell and his numbers are right, 104 million Americans voted for Trump and 30 million Americans voted for Biden. That's yeah. what the data looked like. That in and of itself, not only does it give him 25 or 30 million more votes than any other president in U.S. history, it actually shows that his policy 
was so successful that it got people on both sides. Yeah, it did. But we also, and even Trump himself said, that he couldn't believe how deep and broad the swamp was. <clears throat> I, I think he, uh, I think this has been a life lesson for him too, and a spiritual lesson. The other thing that has happened is that the Cloward and Piven, these are names you probably don't even know, but most of them are professors at one of the Ivy League schools. And these are people that laid out a plan many years ago and said, this is a way we can destroy America and then rebuild it with us in control. And it's a, an elitism concept. Some of it was actually eugenics, like Planned Parenthood was there to reduce minority populations. Look at Freakonomics and you'll, it was a great book. I have, in the data of fatherlessness, yeah. what happens in a household without a father? Well, there's a welfare system they created intentionally incorporating rules that would not allow you to get payment unless the mail was out of the household. Meaning it went from when Johnson signed the big war on poverty, which by the way, the government won, we still have poverty. The war on poverty, he, he actually made a racist statement about having every, and then he used the N word, by the way, unconceivable today. He, he said, I'm gonna have them all voting Democratic and, 30 years. It was a planned thing. 70%, 70% of all black families had a male as leader of the house. Another interesting thing is the marriage rate of blacks was higher than the whites. They didn't consider living together to be a good thing because a strong black It was a faith-based, there's a, a faith-based thread Throughout, yeah. look at Southern California. They shipped in blacks from the south yeah. to build boats in the harbor. And the community flourished. It thrived. You have African Americans that were coming in in horrible conditions, making an honest wage along with white people. Listen, sweat equity is ingrained, right? It's not about the color of your skin. That's right. And, and, and I don't have the data on who made more, right? I don't know if, if whites made more, perhaps doesn't matter. I know it's that four season. African-Americans, white people, black people, everyone was making an earnest wage and it got us out of the depression. But what it did, it set the stage for something much more nefarious. All of a sudden ghettos were instantly propped up overnight. Divorce rates skyrocketed after the war, mainly in white families too. It wasn't so much in the, in the black family. Look at how that even played out. White people don't get a pass on what we've done. Freakonomics is absolutely accurate when you have a father that leaves the household, the amount of depravity that ensues, the hardship that ensues. No doubt. I see it every day. I see it on the, actually even on the autopsy table because you see young kids, single mom, single mom has to work. So they're, they're loose, man. There's no training. There's no support. Um, we've both been single parents too. We know yeah. that. In that framework, you compensate yeah. emotionally. You give people passes. You you let them get away with more than they probably should. It's a good thing. Yeah. So in that sense, what's the spiritual warfare angle on it? What does the Bible say about a family divided? Number one, we cannot be divided because the way to preserve Christianity is to preserve it within a home. That's the first school. What school are you going to send your kid to now? The ones that are teaching LGBTQRSTUV to grade schoolers? Or the ones that will give your children puberty blockers without or, your consent? Or Ritalin because they don't learn like other kids. Yeah, because they're dysfunctional. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're dysfunctional. Rather than sitting down and working with kids in an appropriate manner, we'll give them Ritalin and it doesn't matter if they don't have teeth by the time they're 20 but, or 25. But, but parents also don't get a pass. Parents want the schools to co-parent. That was never the case. Parent wants, you know, parents want the schools to give them an enriched component of their childhood when that was never the school's position. School was supposed to inform Correct. and bring a level of education that was not available in a structured and systemized manner. But if the parents get a pass and the parents put the onus on the teachers and the hardship then falls on the teachers, who, by the way, have no budget to even buy pencils, right? So, Correct. So, I've seen that in city schools. Yeah. Yeah, no books. So it's built to fail on every level. 
Was this supposed to happen according to the Bible? It sure happened because of Cloud and Piven and others, because they wanted the educational institution to fail. If you remember, the purpose of the public education, which I think was pushed by Benjamin Franklin, but he wanted people to have the tools to be independent thinkers. Reading, writing, arithmetic, classical thinking. And the news was intended to do the exact same thing. Like Edward R. Murrow. Yeah. He was trying to inform people to make their own decision. And then what happened? The media, advertising, dollars. That was a big thing. That was a big thing. So if the Bible told us to maintain the household, the Bible told us that an end will at some point reach one of our generations, would you say that we're basically on a collision course with the last book? And if so, back to my first question, where are we at? Well, no man knows when the final days will be. But I know that uh, I believe, and we've often talked about this back and forth, all the elements for the last days are here. The ability to have worldwide control, the ability to know in an instant what's going on in Uganda and what's going on in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You know, it's phenomenal. The knowledge, the control of the knowledge is in the hand of so few, and they can distort it so well. And this is the difference between being informed and being educated. Correct. Educated being you have the faculties in place to use that information to then form a decision. There's a whole system of processes that you have built in, both that are God-given and that are learned which once you're informed, it's like feeding an engine, right? The engine's going to operate the way that it's built to operate based off different components, what you feed it, the gas, the oil, everything. If we're on this path and we don't even want to be informed anymore, we want to be told what our opinion is. That's what the news is doing. It's what the media is doing. It's actually telling its, its perspective group, right? Left or right, whatever your ideological position is, you have a media outlet that caters to it. That's probably the most dangerous aspect of where we're in right now, is that people don't want truth. They want their decision made up because their life is already difficult and distracted enough. Social media, Correct. their phone, their family, their kids are going astray. You know, it's drugs and video games, or it's, leth it's overall lethargy, right? Everyone is asleep to a degree that the Bible warned us about. And now that we're facing down the end of a barrel, fear, lack, anxiety, sleeplessness, worry, Wars and rumors of wars. It's all there. Stages it's all set. there. It's interesting. When the big change came with Russia and Poland, and it became a communist country, it was first very secularized. And that's why, mostly not with the common population, but with the government and the universities, it was secularized. So when communism took over, the first thing, of course, they attacked was religion because they're problematic, independent thinkers, these Christians. So what they did... They're the is worst. They, they set up what they called polis. Polis for meaning like a little community, a, a, an alternative to what they had to do during the day. So during the day, they would actually act like communists to just get themselves fed and everything else or put up with it. But they had secret meetings in homes where they would study scripture, where they would remind themselves of their history. So you can imagine today that Christians almost are going to have to have like sanctuary areas where they can talk about what this country was founded on, what our true history is. What's the true history of blacks and whites? Well, David Barton wrote a book called America Black and White. I advise anybody to pick up that book because it was enlightening to me and I I studied history, both American and European history. It wasn't laid out as clearly as it is there. And at one time, teaching at a university, I gave, it's not a large book, I gave it out to probably half that, that classroom was black. And I bought the books and I handed them out. I said, read it. I said, you'll really understand your history. They went nuts. They didn't realize that. Republicans have played <laughs> such a role. Yeah. Yeah. No, they did not. They didn't realize that both blacks and whites died 
together trying to establish a political system in the South. So whites were terrorized. They were lynched. Yeah. Just the exact same yeah. way. Strung up naked, left, <laughs> left to die as an example for other whites that were helping black people. So they have this parallel polis, and I think we're almost going to have to do the same thing, and I'm, we're trying to build it here. So imagine you can open the door to this website and sit down, and you can talk to us about how American used to be, what it was founded on, and we can discuss what we think about what is happening today and how it's being portrayed in the news. But the pivot is that you have a different footing in Christ and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So you see things for what they are, right? There's a spiritual hedge around us. We see the world, they see us. They can't get through the hedge. But then what? You know, we build this Goshen, right? We build this environment where we can talk about it, we can discuss it. But there has to be corresponding action. To be informed is one thing, to be aware is one thing, to be eyes wide open without the fear of where this is headed because you're given power and authority. You then have to take it somewhere. What do you do with it? How do you walk it out? Right. How does a 30-year coroner walk out his path differently with the framework of spiritual warfare? Well, I relate, and, and any one of us are going to have to relate everything we see in our discernment back to the scriptures in Christ. That's number one. I just don't do a job and either solve a crime or determine a cause of man or death. I see the implications of it which tell me we're living in a world that is very far from how Christ wants us to live. So that puts an obligation on me to tell the public we're too far away from, from God. We should be living with God every day, and we wouldn't have these problems. I told even my own children, I said, my father didn't often take a vacation, but we were going to take a two-month vacation out west. That was the first big vacation we ever took. And my father was getting ready to go, and he realized we didn't have any keys for the house <laughs> because we never locked our doors. This was 1958. So he said, well, you know, I can ask the neighbors to watch. And I said, well, Dad, I think, you know, maybe some keys. He said, well, I guess we could lock it up. And he went and he got, he got keys made so that we could lock up the house. That's what a neighborhood was like. I ran all over that neighborhood, and there, there were not pedophiles in the street or defecation on the sidewalks or any of the things we, we can't San even Francisco. remotely imagine today. So then my question to you is, do you walk out this life and see the spiritual warfare almost on accident or by choice? Do you see it when it comes up across your, your screen as something blatant, as something obscene, as something just inherently evil, or do you choose to see even the small things as a potential act for spiritual warfare and then pray accordingly? So basically the statement or the question would be, how much of your walk in spiritual warfare is a choice? Because a lot of people are seeing the exact same thing. They don't see it as spiritual warfare. No. No, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I actually work with a brilliant forensic pathologist that's also a very strong Christian. So we have discussions all the time. But there are many people that go to cynicism, I think, more than anything else. I saw that a lot in law enforcement, which I was in too. You know, Either people would be cynical and that would protect them, or they would be analytical and applying it to the moral and Christian structure of the day and saying, we're, we're in war here. So cynicism or analysis is a stepped back approach. Yeah. You look at it and you say, it's, it's all crazy, means nothing. But then spiritual warfare says there is no sideline. There is no sideline and we have to be players. What is that play? That play is for me to, uh, to risk things to get the word out. It is to do the documentaries and things that I do and the writings that I do so that I can say we're going in the wrong direction. You know, the word repent means to turn 180. Well, even the word sin means to fall short. Yeah, it's uh, Isaiah 38 or 58, I'm not sure. But Isaiah says, shout out, shout out about the unrighteousness. We can't timidly touch on this. We can't tiptoe around it. We just had a thing today about same-sex marriage. 
the Catholics in the LGBTQ community. And the Pope said he does not endorse same-sex marriages. And so the Catholic Church can no longer bless yeah, no. something that God calls a sin. Right. But in your opinion, has the Pope been on point this entire time, or has he kind of flip-flopped back and forth? Well, it, as far as I can remember, this is the same guy that was still having cardinals and priests working that were known pedophiles. And, uh, oh, because they, you know, yeah, they confessed their sin. Yeah, well, they should confess their shame, but they shouldn't be in any power of authority. No. And if you go to Timothy, that's made pretty clear. If you can't handle yourself, you shouldn't be leading others. He does not say that civil unions are not welcome. Now, that is a secular thing. And when I was facing this, which was not so long, about 10 years ago, we were just coming in with the push for same-sex marriage. And I was often asked as a public official, what do you think? And I said, well, this is America, and it's an America of choice. So if two people want to live together, I think under civil law, they should be able to have a civil contract of being the person of interest for the other so that they can actually do things like be executors of wills, visit in hospitals, and all these other things. It, we're talking about basic, decent approaches to real lifestyle circumstances, right? Right. And it was mostly for the division of property, taxation, and everything else. Even healthcare benefits, which, right. listen, if, if you've made the choice, and these are social constructs and institutions, I'm not going to keep someone from healthcare just because of their sexual orientation. No, it's, it's ridiculous. But the line that... Not in this country. Yeah, but the line that Christians are asked to cross is to celebrate the one sin that's become an identity. That's the line in the sand. We can't celebrate it. We, no. cannot, we cannot go to weddings. We cannot send gifts. We cannot celebrate a union of something that God calls a sin. No more than we can celebrate someone murdering someone else. No more than we can celebrate someone else's infidelity in marriage. No more than we can celebrate, you know, any number of enumerated sins that Christ has laid out. And then we sin against God. So not only is the sin that's an identity sin against God, our, our blessing it, our celebration of it, is just as much a sin. And to do it in a way where we can still love people. God loves gay people. He hates their sin. That's he hates right. their sin. God loves us, but he hates our sin. Right. And to think any differently is where the church has done a horrible job of getting the message out. I can speak from experience, my own father being gay, him living his entire life, only sleeping with one woman, having two children, yet struggling with homosexuality the entire time. Ultimately, the last 10, 15 years, denying it outright. Where he's, you know, if he focuses and fixates on it, he's in a prison. But if he focuses on Jesus' heart form, he's liberated. He's saying, okay, this walk might not be, you know, what my flesh wants. But it's like, you could look at it and say, a certain version of ourselves, our flesh wants to go out whoring, right? Pillaging, right? We're doing all sorts of things that completely violate God's order and God's will for us. Our flesh might want it, but that's not what we carry out. And it's certainly not what we celebrate. So when you look at this in the Vatican and what it's doing, what he came out and said, do you feel like it's sleight of hand? I think it's a diversion. What's going on behind it? What does he not want us to see? Is that even something that we know, or is that something that we're supposed to seek the Holy Spirit about? Well, I think he's, I, I think he's trying to allude to the fact that for decades now, the church has covered up its own sexual sins. So now it, he makes this righteous statement against homosexuality. Um, is he like throwing us a bone? Yeah, <laughs> because this is phenomenal against a large organization that has stonewalled the knowledge that their own structure has been producing Over, pedophiles. Just overrun and fraught with depravity. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the reports that come out, again, I don't want to go down the, the whole rabbit hole of conspiracy theories, but the reports of sexual parties mm -hmm. where it's grown men in the church and children. Yeah. In my mind, they all need to die immediately. <laughs> in my mind. And, and, and of course, what's God say, right? You know, Well, certainly the act has to die. That's where our own impulsivity, our own 
desires and wants. We have to exercise restraint. We have to measure it against the word. Mm-hmm. We have to stop and say, what's God trying to tell us, teach us, work through us, and then ultimately, what is his heart for the matter and the people involved? Spiritual warfare requires a measure of restraint that is very uncommon to the human condition, especially when we hear stories like that. When we look at a story like this, there's people out there right now that are saying, because sin is so prevalent, the secular society is in itself the freedom to sin as you will and not follow the laws of God, not follow the Ten Commandments. And you hear even from church members They'll say, well, that was then, this is now. It's not a big deal. I mean, they're not bad people. I'm not saying anybody's a bad person. I'm saying their actions are bad. We're all bad people because no man is righteous. No, not one. <laughs> no, when the Bible says that all men's hearts are wicked. Right. Not just men, by the way. So it's not a condemnation of the person. It's a condemnation of how the person handles the sin. That was a whole thing. And the first long sermon from Christ is the Sermon on the Mount. And he's trying to get to you. It's not the laws you got to worry about here. It's the heart. It's your heart. You can look and commit adultery. Well, there you go. I'm not in good shape. <laughs> so, Uh-oh. So it is the same law now as it ever was. So the law being also don't defile your bodies or your flesh. Correct. The vaccine defiling that as well. So sexual sin defiles it. The vaccine defiles it. Our minds being influenced by the media and deception is also a violation. We're supposed to take all thoughts captive. So are these things an assault in broad daylight that we aren't seeing as spiritual warfare? Because we might have a position on it. Christians might think a certain way, right? Oh, you know, my body, my choice, right? You can have all these things to push back on it, but really... Well, secularists say, my body, my choice. I, well, wait, wait a minute. That only applies to ripping living Ooh. human beings out of the Yeah, world. it's double standard. It's but different. It's my, it's my choice. Well, they, the baby doesn't have a choice? Well, in, this, in the United States, the man doesn't have a choice in most cases. So let me ask you a question. If all of this is really an attack on God's creation from a number of different vectors, right? It's a multi-vectored approach. If you want to take this, you know, this, this military term and apply it a certain way. Right. The enemy is attacking institutions, the household, the body, all at the exact same time. Same time. In broad daylight. Right. What's the Christian response? The Christian response has to be to understand, first, we're in a conflict. Second, we have to choose sides. This is wheat from, chaff from wheat. There is a big division here that we have to follow the laws of God, and rely on the mercy of Christ and the Holy Spirit to give us the power. So that's what has to be done. We have to see spiritual warfare. And that's why we're going to this effort in the first place. And it is really serious. You tell me what spiritual warfare is. So the idea of spiritual warfare itself is, as you said, to acknowledge we have an enemy. But it's not even our enemy, it's God's. That's correct. But it's an enemy that is throwing a tantrum. It's very jealous of us and creation. As a pastor noted last night, we're the only created image of God as authority in this world and in the heavenlies. Yeah. Satan lost it. Satan was kicked out. No way to go back in. Then the divine council, the watchers, kicked out. No way to get back in. Their only play was to accelerate human depravity. Now they're about to come back as aliens and all these other, you know, misguided things. Now we're augmenting humanity, our bodies. As the Bible says, in the end, it will return to the days of Noah. Or in the days of Noah, augmented human bodies. Augmented human bodies, distortion of DNA between the sons of God and the women of man. So we see the enemy for who he is. We see the enemy's fingerprints on everything. We call it out. We help sharpen others. But we also pray down heaven. We take a posture Correct. of prayer that is counter to saying, Lord, help me. God already helped us. God sent his own son to die on the cross, gave us all authority in his name to speak to the mountain and make it move into the sea. And what do we keep doing? I'm trusting God. God, please help me. I'm trusting God. God is faithful. Of course he's faithful. 
God also wants us to step up and do the work. And the work isn't going to be comfortable. The work isn't checking a box. The work isn't going to church on Sunday and then going through your week on fumes because your gas tank is running empty because you put God in a box and you won't allow the Holy Spirit to permeate every single aspect of your life. So spiritual warfare is everything from seeing the enemy for who he is, what he's doing, removing the partitions internally, for helping other people see the spiritual warfare around us, and to pray against it accordingly with authority. We're living this life on our knees. And prayer is one thing, but in subjugation is something else. There's not a thing I see in the news today that hasn't been repeated in the past. I look at the vaccine and I, I've, I've studied from a physiological standpoint and I'm very uncomfortable with it. I will not be taking it. God gave me Stephen Meyer, by the way, if you ever want to know the importance of DNA in God's creation, then that's a good book that he has. And I don't have the uh, quick to my mind, the, the title of the book, but it impressed me so much. He is a Christian, but he is also a DNA expert. What is similar to our genetic composition to that of a worm's? Uh, almost identical. We thought we would, we would have so many more chromosomes than a worm. But we don't even understand. You have to, Watson and Crick, these two guys that came up with the theory, or at least solidified the theory, and this double helix and everything. They first thought, number one, that we would have massive differentials between us and that worm. The other thing, they didn't really understand what they called junk genes, because they couldn't figure out what they were. And it's just trash. Epigenomes. So we're not even close to beginning to understand all the propensities of the genetic material. Yet we have an untested MRA vaccine that creates a phony spike, which when goes into the body, you think this body created by God is not going to recognize that as a phony spike and work against it, meaning it's going to cause inflammation. It's going to cause disruption. They don't know how it's going to replicate itself within the body. So I don't know, Sparky. I think I'm going to sit back and watch a while. And I... Uh, what do you think about uh, What do you think about Christians that are okay with being a human petri dish? <laughs> well, that's basically what it is when you take any of these vaccines, as far as I'm concerned. So... Would that line them up to be destroyed for lack of knowledge? Potential. Yes, and it's a cascading thing. We are the country of the highest amount of anxiety drugs, the highest amount of addiction, the highest amount of um, degenerative diseases. Depravity in general, we export right. it wholesale, but we're also the most trusted measure of science and medicine. Technology, military, that should scare the shit out of everyone. <laughs> well, interesting thing is that, uh, again, if you do your homework, I'll give you another homework assignment. Uh, nature, 2015, the manufacturing of a virus in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Just look it up. I did very early on in this whole thing. I sent the information to people within government. Nothing came up, but now there's people starting to write about it. And uh, if it truly was completely man-made, that means it had to be man-released. That means intentionality. Yeah. Oh, it was man-made. So, so if you peel that back. Why would they release it in the last year of Trump's term? Well, it was a, just a convenient accident, wasn't it? Oh, entirely. 2020, right. presidential election. That waskily old virus. So if our political structure has shown us anything, it's our ability to never miss a tragedy, opportunity. Yeah. So someone saw this as an opportunity to make moves. Tremendous. And this is going to continue. It's going to just cascade the same thing. With the devaluing of the dollar, the manipulations of inflation are only there to, well, in the 2008 fall of the banking system, the assets held by the middle class were reduced by 40%. They never came back. Never came back. Never came back. So today I just saw one news thing where the average person, if he has an unexpected cost of $500. He's not prepared for it. He's not prepared for it. So ultimately, if you scale everything back, if you're operating at 50,000 feet, what's the big picture? Are there powers, principalities, rulers of the darkness of this age that are trying to bring about our demise, as we discussed at the beginning? Is this a way of getting the biggest Christian superpower out of the way in order to have its way 
Because then the hunt can begin. Then the hunt for Christians can begin. Then the book of Revelations does play out. And since we don't know that window of time, we're told to be aware of the seasons, to be watchful, to you know understand three and a half years, right? Blessed are those that live 1,290 days, and truly blessed are those, whatever the, the terminology is, that live to 1,335 days. What happens in 45 days? The pilgrims called America the New Jerusalem. And that was the thinking of many, many Christians for the first hundred years. So if you remove us from the equation, what happens to the world? Satan tightens his rule and extends his destructive nature on this earth. How can it be a bad thing if this is starting to happen, whether America wins or fails? Because it's calling on the coming of Christ and the reign of Christ. Christians love that, but there are Christians that want more time. Okay. What do you tell them? Well, man, I, get, I want to pay for my truck first, you know? <laughs> I want my kids to go to school. I right. want them to marry someone nice. Yeah. I want grandkids. What do you tell them who, who are more focused on their human condition than on our king's reign? Well, all I can tell them is that we're in a war against Satan. And if this is a time for us to be in spiritual conflict... We have to be strong, we have to be resolute, we have to be knowledgeable, and we have to be fearless because Satan's fearless. Do we have a chance of delaying the inevitable? I think it's a slight chance. Is it a chance worth taking? It's a chance worth taking, yeah. It's a chance for me to give up my life for because I'm only giving up the life on this earth. Has church, in your experience and opinion, has the American Christian Church prepared people for that lifestyle, for a footing of a wartime message and a wartime walk with Christ. On the main, since there was a great writer, Francis Schaeffer, I was talking to him at a lunch, and uh, he said, Graham, you have to remember we're living in a post-Christian world. And this was, this was like 1970. Do the Christians know that? Uh, no. No, they think we're living in a Christian nation here. We're not even close. I mean, there was something, I don't know, the Globes, or one of these award shows... There's nothing better than to watch the hubris of Hollywood and entertainment. And it was just the other night. I don't even know who this woman is or the other woman who she was feigning sex with on a bed at a, a Globe Award or something like that. And it was pure pornography. And then we have the audacity to allow that or allow our kids even to watch it. I mean, it's it just, it's phenomenal. It was really bad it was really bad so you see that not just being displayed but being celebrated yeah by the media oh yeah by the television brilliant performance nobody can hump like that i mean that's brilliant that's really what we're watching is a dumpster fire yeah we're we're sodom and gomorrah right now as far as i can see we're babylon i mean we're we're, yeah. ev we're every essence of having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And that's just it. If we're walking around fearfully and wonderfully made in his image, yet you have people like that that are completely defiling his image because yes. we are his imagers. Do we deserve what's coming? Yes, we do deserve it. But well, I don't mind suffering for the great cause. If we live in this period, then it, if we act positively as Christians to the end of our efforts, I know where I'm going. And I know what reward is there. So it's okay. It's okay. And it was the same thing with the average kid storming Normandy. He was 19 years old, and his body weight was around 150 pounds. I don't even think I was 150 pounds when I was 13 <laughs> years old. <laughs> they went ahead and get you at just a toddler stage or something. Somewhere around eighth grade, yeah. But at any rate, they still were running into that fire, just like they did at Gettysburg, and you walked and prayed in Gettysburg not so long ago. We were given rights by God. And even though there was an issue of states' rights that they say this was a battle of states' rights, you can go down to Gettysburg when the museum is open and everybody isn't locked in their houses, and you can see letters written by people before they charge some of these hills. And every one of them said they did it for God and the next generation. 
So what are we going to do for God in the next generation? Are we going to let our kids watch that crap on TV? Are, are we not going to call out the government for killing so many children here and abroad? 60 million in this country alone. Yep. And the first week, the funding for foreign abortions and everything was done. So if we call it out and we pray down heaven, all of it is an act of love. How are you going to feel when they call us righteous dissidents? Personally? Well, I'm proud of that. Yeah. <laughs> it works well for me. I don't care if they call me a crazy old man or a righteous dissident or he's a troublemaker. I've already been called a loose cannon or a troublemaker, so that's, that's fine with me. If anything, the season that we're in should really remind people to not love their lives so much and keep their treasures here on Earth. Because thieves can break in, moths can get to it, steel can rust. Everything that we have here is bound to be taken, if not just wither away. You know, the hue and cry of the press right now is, let's say any of the subjects. Well, the fraud in the elections haven't been proven. What do they mean by proven? Because it was never allowed into a court, that a court wouldn't even look at it? That everybody has their head in the sand or another place I can think of? That is nothing. The data is there. And it's not evidence of some higher power at work trying to suppress that data. Sure. Sure. So it is ridiculous. You're living in a false world and you cannot live the lie. This is the time when Christians are going to be, I said 30 years ago, I said someday we're going to be like the Amish in that we're going to be separated. We're going to be isolated. Maybe, maybe there'll be, uh, I don't know, sectarians running along and taking pictures of us and saying, oh, look at that. They, they dress modestly. Aren't they weird people? <laughs> so when you do the news, understand their concept of proven. Their concept of proven is if they approve of it through Pro this secular society. Proven through the filter of approval. Of, of, <laughs> of their media and courts. So the question is, why the spiritual warfare? Why would you can continue to listen? It's because we're all going to have this debate and talk. We're one of those small ultra polices. It's this little seminar section where we, we work and start figuring out how we do this battle, where we go, and we're going to try to give you tools. We're going to work from a, a book called the uh, Spiritual Warfare Bible, and we're going to give you readings beyond the Bible, just like this one, Live Not By Lies, by Dreyer. You're going to have tools, tools that we found on our journeys, and we find them all the time because we communicate with other Christians. In this book, The uh, Christian Dissident, it talks about decentralization, which Steve just talked about. We go from the, well, first the family, the family to the small group, the small group to community. And we stay within that community and function with truth until the time that it can be spread to a broader group. Now, it does not mean that you don't be strategic. All warfare is strategic. And so there's ways to stay in office. There's ways to win a race for a political office as a Christian and speaking of truth. But you got to be strategic. You got to be strong. And you also have to understand if I get up to the top of the hill, that's great. But if I'm shot halfway up the hill, that's great because I know I'm going to be with the Lord. And so you can't do any of this as success. You have to do it first as did what I do glorify God? And that's really in everything you do every day. When you're in the office, when you're at home, when you're irritated. If I, if I do this, does that glorify God? I think what you're talking about is significance versus success. Yes. Are, are you, in fact, operating a place of God's significance for your life? Or you feel like all the plans that he had for you, the calling he's placed before you, the destiny he's alluded to in your dreams and your heart desires. God is leading you to a place of significance, walking, talking, and warring with him. But he's also telling you that the success of this world will fall short. So let me ask you a question, this final thoughts. Contending with God, was that something saved for Jacob and Jacob alone? Or is that something that we're supposed to do? You mean the wrestling match? Yep. Happens with me every day. Happens with me every day. What value has it taught you? that I can contend, but 
I must always know that God is supreme. He'll guide me with the Holy Spirit, and I'll be judged by Christ. And he will return, and he will reign. So, Does that make you contend harder, farther? Yes. More furiously? Yeah. You know, my, my wife was reading, what was it, Leviticus? And she's laughing. She said, this guy's so funny. <laughs> and she's talking about God in the dialogue between uh, God and Moses. Contending back and forth, wrestling with each other. That's our way to discern what God's true spirit is, that how we should live. Wouldn't you also agree that it's, it's our way to live the fullest potential? Yeah. Because if we're not contending, what are we doing? We're lying down and we're taking it. We're playing yeah. it safe. We're keeping our hands on the wheel at 10 and 2. Well, as the world is falling apart, the church should be falling together. But we have to wake up first. And that's what we're talking about today, waking up and starting to get together the tools. The enemy is parading in broad daylight, and we keep changing the channel. Welcome to the fourth watch. Done. What do you think? Of what? I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of thoughts I have. There's a lot of thoughts we have too, but we are done with March 17th, 2021. It's currently May 10th, 2022. This is just one big reminder. That message is still relevant. There's a lot of editing to do. There's a few more from the archives we're going to bring forward. But the reality is this. There's no prayer in heaven. Spiritual warfare isn't just real. It is raging. But if you don't see it for what it is, if you want to see through the lens of your own understanding and your own want and your own desire, you have to ask yourself, do you want what you want or do you want what God wants? Do you want to just pretend none of this is happening and you don't have a dog in the fight? Or do you want what God wants? To have you walking around with the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. To have dominion. To subdue. You have a role to play. And the reality is there is no prayer in heaven. You'll be looking down from the nosebleed saying, Ah, maybe I could have done more. It's the last thing any of us want. But we want to encourage you. We hope that this message actually edifies you, brings you forward in faith. If you have questions, please reach out. Visit us at fourth.watch or grahamhetrick.com. Visit us on Instagram at fourth.watch, at fifth.horse, or at Graham Hetrick. We've got some more messages from the archives coming up, some more work to do, but for now, stay safe out there. God bless and Godspeed.